Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before and he's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Oh, Coming to you live on tape from the lucky 13th floor of a commercial high-rise in beautiful Beverly Hills adjacent California. From the studios of Sirius XM West, boasting an obstructed view of the world-famous Hollywood sign. This is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, one of my personal favorite comedians. He is the newly minted head writer of Prairie Home Companion. He is a touring comic, and he is the author of the soon-to-be-released book, Your Dad Stole My Rake, and Other Family Dilemmas. Hello, and welcome Tom Papa. I love that's the best intro I've heard in years. You gotta make um you gotta make lemonade out of lemons. <laughs> it's so great. It when, really is so perfect. Beverly Hills adjacent. <laughs> oh, thank you. I love the bit in the beginning when the when the door guy who's introducing you in the belly room oh, at the at the comedy store so great. cannot recall your last name. Oh I and you know what? It never stops. It never I I work in uh New York a lot at the village, and you have the Comedy Cellar and the Village Underground. They're on opposite corners. Yes. And when you walk from, you go up, I'll go up at the Village Underground, have a great set, feel all great about it, come walking back over to the Comedy Cellar, and there's the guys barking for another comedy club down the road, and a guy with a clipboard is like, big comedy show tonight, come on, man, you can come in, $15 cup. And you're like, Really? I just killed down there. I'm feeling like a real big comedy star. How many TV shows must I have? Nobody knows. Nobody cares. <laughs> it never stops. Well, uh, you really are one of my personal favorite uh, comedians. I've been dabbling a little bit, and I look at you as an inspiration because there are so many people. You get up in a room in Hollywood, and who goes to comedy shows? In Hollywood, it's young people. They're drinking. They're dating. They're, yeah. they're doing bumps or whatever. And then I get up, and I'm like doing dad jokes. Right, and then I get away from it for long enough that I'm like, "This is gonna fucking kill." They're never gonna see me coming, and then I get up there, and I'm like, "Oh fuck, I did it again." I have, I have nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. But you do it, and you pull it off. And not only that, but you. There are two instances since I've uh, been doing a little comedy for the last couple of years where right. I had to ditch a joke I was uh, working on because I saw another comic doing the same premise with a better punchline than I was going to mm-hmm. come up with, and you were both of them. No. Yeah. Well, you could do those jokes. I. I what were they? It would. Um, do you remember? I do. Of course, I do. One was the the cultural blind spot <clears throat> that we all had to homosexuals in pop culture, specifically music, for so long. Right. I was working the Fred Schneider angle. Right. Because I think there may have been some people who didn't even realize what he would have been up to at the Love Shack. Right. But you, uh, much better. Landed on, we missed that the band was called Queen. Right. <laughs> like, Motherfucking yeah. Queen. No what idea. did they need to do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, that joke is kind of, uh, is kind of, uh, I've been thinking about it recently because I talk about how music starts to influence you as a child. And my daughter is like getting into music now, so she's not going to listen to me. How old? When I was a kid, she was 12. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, uh, the, um, once Prince entered my life, I'm never going to listen to my father. And I do this thing about Prince. He was kind of gay, but he was talking, talking about sleeping with women. I didn't know what this guy was about, but I'm going to follow him to the end of my days. And then everybody from then on, this is the tricky part. Then everybody from then on, uh, all our role models from all my role models from then on were perverts. 
and I say David Bowie in his uh, in his uh, um, spaceship, you know, sleeping with everybody and whatever. And, and then I say Freddie Mercury running around with his ball bag hanging out. Uh, we didn't even know he was gay. The name of his band was Queen. Uh, and I started checking myself, like, are you saying that a gay man is a pervert? Oh. Are, you know what I mean? Like, oh, God, you got to retrofit all your jokes Yeah, now. we're like into we're into this era now, which I think is kind of correct in some regard. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, I think saying retarded and having like a kid with special needs dad, like having to listen to it, I'm totally cool with that. Uh, but it really did make me think like, oh, yeah, this isn't, I, I should be a little more elegant with the phrasing of it. Maybe if you just view it as, a challenge that you can still make the comic point without leaning on the defamatory crutch. Totally. Which theoretically there must be a way. It's so hard, and this is a, a very um, worn out point at this yeah. point, but when people say something's gay, we almost never, Louis started a special right. with that years ago. They're yeah. like, I'm calling you a faggot. I, it, it's actually nothing to do with you being gay. Right. And I would never, ever, ever call a, a handicapped person retarded. Right. But I'll call my kid that. Yeah, or yourself. <laughs> sure. You know, when I'm driving with my kids and I make a wrong turn, I'm like, ah, mm. oh, I'm so retarded. And uh, Do they, Are they PC police Okay, totally. Oh, God. Totally. My guy's six. I'm waiting for him to have opinions. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, uh, like I've said, like, you know, and this is kind of an old debate, I'm sure, but there is correction that is good mm-hmm. and is is nice and we should be thoughtful of people but you can't be thoughtful of everybody like i was i did conan last week mm-hmm. and this is this is what comedy's become <laughs> like you do a tv show or a radio show and then you check your twitter feed to see who got who got pissed off no really yeah a hundred percent you seem like one of the least you're pretty yes. mild that's why that's why it's insane. Like, it's gotten to that point. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Jim Jeffries goes on. He wants that. Yes. Right? He's throwing flame balls and wants fireballs and wants that. I just want to make people laugh. And I get it. I'll get attacked. And uh, I, <laughs> this whole set on Conan, it was cool. It was fun. I was like, so I guess the one thing they'll get me on is uh, I did this joke about giving money to the homeless. And I'm like, yeah, maybe that one they'll get me. There's no reason to, but. Maybe that'll be it. And a girl went off on Twitter because I said, um, I have a joke about bread. I'm like, people, uh, I have friends in my life that don't eat bread anymore. No toast with butter in the morning. Kill yourself. Make some room for people who know how to live. Oh, no. Anti-suicide. Oh, I was thinking gluten. Yeah, no, right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you can't really take it to heart. but But yeah, there is... I guess there's this self-policing thing to some degree, yeah. but you can't let it uh, devour you, I guess. I think the backlash against the backlash has started to begin. And, you think um, so? Yeah, I, I do think so a tiny little bit because you can't – at a certain point, somebody is going to have to say um, – what I said may be offensive to some people, and frankly, those people are going to have to live with that yeah. because the Ryan Seacrests of the world are going to have to live in a world where they cannot offend anyone ever. Right. But if you are doing edgy right. stuff, there's got to be some middle ground in our culture. There has to be yeah. between being Ryan Seacrest and being the guy from 
Vice, who all of a sudden decided he's like a far right white supremacist, fuck you if you hate me guy. Right. There's got to be some middle ground. You go, ah, I can't apologize for every yeah. single. I I he, am that you could do the non apology apology. I am sorry if your feelings were hurt, but I I'm, I can't retract. I'm yeah. sorry. Fuck you if you don't like bread. <laughs> right. I'm, exactly. Every man's got to take a stand, and that's mine. Yeah. My strategy is to call them the bully to act like, hey, mm-hmm. why are you being so mean? Like, why are you yeah. coming? Because I there is truly what I think. Like, I I the problem is the being the nice guy is that you take it to heart when you hurt people. Right. You know, where like if you're the asshole guy who's just throwing stuff around and yeah, don't Jessalyn care, like loves that. Yeah, you're like yeah, thrive on it. And fuck you guys. Mm-hmm. I like, I can't believe that somebody was was that I hurt somebody. Mm-hmm. I don't like that at all. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. So it's like, so then it's like, well, why are you bullying me? You're you're right. being the bully now. Yeah, the presumption of all social justice warriors or people who just have their own particular issue and I've seen this on the Jason Ellis show for years people will listen for 10 years and then the, the one time we make the joke about right. the thing because their kid does, was born with nine fingers right. that's <laughs> right. not yeah. that's not funny anymore and you yeah. gotta understand why it doesn't work that way but the presumption seems to be with the um, the very liberal tends to be a lot of young people criticism is and I, I god I hate to uh, agree with the right the far right on anything but if you don't accept their opinion and where they are living 100 yes. percent without question then then you're an asshole and you're wrong yeah and our society any free society is based on the idea that we all are looking at the same it's like the blind yeah. man thing like what the blind men touching the elephant one guy thinks it's a snake because it's a tail <laughs> yeah. we're all looking at different shit it's yeah. only natural that we come away with a slightly different takeaway yeah you know? and it's like you know i just can't does all of life have to be a uh, a a tribal battle? Like I don't, I know I don't. Especially as comics, mm-hmm. we don't belong to any team. We're not, you know. I'll some things that the right will say I'm into, and some things the left will say I'm into. And sure. I I I don't want to join any of these groups. And I look at the people that are so passionate about being all in on this one side. You're like a sucker. Like. You're being played. Like, what is it? Either side. Absolutely. Yeah. Positive it's like, I don't know. Yeah. I, you just want to make... So what was the other joke? Do you remember oh, the other joke? yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I have very unique <laughs> and not ideal uh, body hair. And I saw you doing a thing from a long time ago about yeah. your friend on the beach. I, for, I can never, never yeah. keep my centaurs and minotaurs. Yeah, pan. You look yeah, pan. <laughs> right. And half I was like, goat, well, I'm not going to make man. fun of... I'm not going to make fun of myself because that's sad. No. You know, it's, it's so funny. We... Uh, there's so many subjects. It's like you should do it. You've got that hair. You live with it every day. It bothers you. You know what it's going to be like taking your clothes over the beach. Who cares if someone has another? I was at a. I was dealing with a corporate gig once, and this guy before me. He was like two headliners had to do this gig, and I was the second one to go. So I'm watching this talented guy go up before me, and he touched on two of my jokes. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting with the buyer, who's a cool guy. And uh, knows comedy. And I was like, oh, I can't do that joke, and I can't do that joke. He's like, yeah, you can. You're just totally different. I'm like, you're so naive. No. He goes, I'm telling you, do the jokes. Are you concerned about the crowd or the other comic? The crowd. Oh, really? The crowd. Because mm-hmm. it would be like you. Like, I just did my pan joke, and you're going to be like, well, I'm not doing my back hair joke. 
when I go up, you know. Can't you? But isn't that the way that human conversation works is people sort of in comedy, they call I've learned this. This is the only thing I've taken away from being behind the <laughs> You tag things. Right. You, know, you, get, you get the premise and then this punchline, that punchline. Isn't that what people do is you make fun of something so I also offer my joke on that same subject? Yeah, but if, you know, if. If Bill Burr is up on stage doing uh, a half hour on the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. and then I come up there with my two little jokes on it, yeah, they're going to probably fall flat in my mind. Uh huh. You know what I mean? I think I think you're overthinking this, but you. I was are, overthinking. You are the, the professional. You are right. No, you are right. Mm-hmm. The end of the story is he made me do the jokes. I did the jokes. They killed, and I was like, oh. Yeah. I thought the audience would be. It had nothing to do with it. Isn't it so painful to? live in the world where you care so deeply. I was listening to your uh, Come to Papa podcast, and you are talking about doing some benefit show, and all these big-time uh, musicians were there, and none of them could wait to be done so they could be relieved of the burden of performing. Yeah. To know that no matter how many times you do it, and you mentioned Smokey Robinson, a guy who could literally yeah. roll across the stage and get a standing ovation. <laughs> he he totally. needs to do absolutely nothing, but he feels the need to deliver to know that the audience relatively speaking cares so very little but you can't help but care about them imaginary caring yeah yeah think about what you think when you're at a show and the opening act is on or whatever and how how little the person means nothing to you it means nothing i know it's but it means but it's such a weird i think just on a psychological level you're going up in front of the town Mm-hmm. And you're going to stand on the platform. Mm-hmm. And this is a big deal. Yeah, <laughs> this You've is got freakish. The, the, you're not the conch or the conch, however you say that. Yeah, you're not. You're the con- yeah, you're not safe in the crowd anymore. Right. So it, I guess it is that thing. I, I it's really funny. I have a friend uh, who has a band, and him and his bandmate have a uh, saying: uh, "Nothing matters. No one. No one's paying attention. Nothing. Nothing ever matters." And it really is true. You pain. You're like thinking about: Should I do the back hair joke? Oh, he's got that thing. Yeah. Nobody pays attention. Nothing matters. Just go. Just do yeah. whatever. Oh, I forgot that one thing I was going to do to transition. <laughs> oh yeah, and that people really that, yeah. ru- that ruined their night on the way home. They're just scratching <laughs> yeah. their head. Why do I feel so completely unfulfilled for my evening at the improv? But I think the other side of it is that you that shows that you really care about what you're doing mm. and you're working hard at it yeah. and you're taking it seriously probably better and it will be better in the long run yeah right 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 i think that a lot of times that is your 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 focusing mechanism is put, yeah. if you don't feel pressure I, I guess there are some people who can just do that yeah but it, it manifests itself in other ways the people who i know in life who are able to just show up and perform in one way have uh, crushing almost unimaginable pressures elsewhere in their life. Inevitably. Yeah. I don't know anybody who gets away from it entirely. No, no. We're all right. We're, everybody's just totally <laughs> hanging on <laughs> for survival. I wanted uh, to talk to you about bread. I did not realize, because I am the object of comic ridicule in my own personal life oh, because yeah? of how seriously I take bread, and yet I feel like you take bread too seriously. Uh, I don't think you can take bread too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I think guy. bread is so important. Agreed. Agreed. I mean that Jesus branded himself with bread as uh, making the loaves and also the yeah. the body of Christ, like the, the bread, uh, shows how heavy and deep bread actually is. Do you take fishes seriously? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but when you go to communion in church, they don't give you a, a, a metaphor for this piece of fish. No, no, no. no that would be probably... <clears throat> Difficult with the health department. You bake bread? No, I would never you just ever take ever it seriously. Bake bread. In what regard? This is a horrible bread town. 
This comes up far yeah. too often on, the, on this show. Maybe, I'm sorry. Maybe you know the feeling. No, I brought it up because I, I want to talk about it. This is I'm from <laughs> the East Coast, and, yeah. and I grew up in New Jersey, a where? suburb of New York, um, Rutherford, New Jersey, so well, by the sports where I complex. Lived. Really? East Rutherford was my first apartment when I was a baby, and my parents lived in Clifton. My whole family was from Clifton. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then I lived in Bergen County my whole childhood. Yeah, I was in yeah. Bloomfield I know exactly for where a little are. while. Think, right. Yeah. So we'd get... And this was like normal to us. And I wouldn't say I came from like a food family. We were the same, you know, Perkins, IHOP, diner people as everybody else that I knew. Yeah. But we got like a loaf of rye bread from Pector's. Yeah. And it's just like a joy. fucking slice of rye bread. <laughs> and everywhere we went, they had like Pector's or something like it. Yeah. And then, and then all of a sudden, supermarket bread started taking off. And I was like, who in there, who would, it was like when Domino's started. Yeah. And you'd go- who in their right mind would buy this shit when you can get the real thing? I understand if you live somewhere where you can't get it, and I just assume when I move to Los Angeles, this is a megalopolis. It has everything. There's gonna they're gonna have their pectors, and it's a really tough town. So I will drive like yeah. fifteen extra minutes to just get not even the greatest, just a real, just an actual real loaf of bread that goes bad in three days, like yeah. it's supposed to. Yeah, no, that's kind of why I started getting into it. Mm-hmm. And I was in a writer's room here in L.A. with a friend of mine, and he started talking about how he started making sourdough bread, which comes from this wild yeast. Yeah. It's, it's not commercial yeast. It's like this wild yeast, and uh, that's where you, where bread came from 4,000, 5,000 years ago. And I, he started talking about it as the science fiction kind of a way, and my daughter created a starter for me, put flour and water in a bowl, left it on a table, and it created this bubbly thing. The yeast flies into the bowl, starts eating it, and gases it, it flies? up. Huh? It, yeast flies? Yeah, it's floating in the atmosphere right now between us is yeast. And it goes into the uh, into the flour and eats it and starts bubbling. And that's yeah, that activity, uh-huh. that is that's where the first bread came from. Yeah. And um, Wait, Aren't there people with yeast allergies? Um. Yeah, but I mean, there's such trace amounts. Okay. All right. You know? All right. All right. Uh, so I and then you start real. And then I started realizing, bread comes from flour, water, salt, and yeast. Mm-hmm. Those are the only ingredients in bread: flour, water, salt, and yeast. Yeah. And I looked at the whole wheat bread that I've been feeding my family for ten years from the supermarket that I felt so pious about, so great about that I was giving my family the better bread. Thirty ingredients. 30 ingredients. Many multi-syllable words, yeah. Can't even get close to pronouncing it. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. And then we ate it. Then I got, then I was able to make the bread. Mm-hmm. And then the the house is filled with the smell of the bread. And then the bread, it tastes so much better. And then I started perfecting it and going deeper. And, and then I started looking at this movement out there of these artisan bread bakers up in Ojai and in, in LA and in, all over the place that are had the same revelation of like trying to make this pure product as good as they can. And the interesting thing with all of them, they start just making it. They love it. There's a passion. There's this, it's very much like comedy for me. Like you fail at it more than you succeed. And then the community starts showing up and they start, they want it. They want this product and all these little bakers that start these little shops thrive. And people don't get sick from their bread. People don't have people who have celiac, I'm sure, have a problem, but people have this gluten kind of a thing. I have friends that have the gluten intolerance who eat my bread and they're okay. Which shows that 
I'm not a scientist, but there's other shit in that bread that's making them sick. Right. And uh, all these people started, they start getting followings. They start getting like Instagram followers. People start coming to their shops. People are just craving this really good, good thing. So I am doing it at this rate in my house where I'm now baking more bread than my family can eat. So I'm just starting to give it out to neighbors. I send it out to people who are subscribers on my podcast. It's starting to I thought I heard that. It is starting to uh to grow a little bit, but I I will dispute your first uh your first comment which is I don't think you can take it that too seriously. <laughs> I think that it's there's such goodness from bread. Yeah. And the process of it and the people it attracts mm-hmm. that uh I'm all in. That sounds lovely. I do know that you can get a really solid loaf of bread for $2.50 from these Russian ladies on Santa Monica and oh, Fairfax. yeah. I know. That's the other thing. I start, when I go on the road, <laughs> I start looking at, I, I, I start finding bakers. I know. I know. <laughs> and the the, the, uh, the ethnic ones mm-hmm. who aren't so artisanal. No. Uh, who will sell you a loaf for six fifty? Or you know, that's so downtown LA. They've reinvent. They figured out a way for nine dollars to make what these Russian ladies have been selling. I mean, granted, the, the downtown yeah. they don't have like cigarette ash in their in their loaves, <laughs> right. but it's a small price to pay. It is, and you go to these places where these people are just cranking out bread for centuries, and it's like there's all different degrees of it. But the, there's nothing better than walking into like an ethnic place, like I know. the Russian place or the mm-hmm. Jewish place or the Italian place, and just like, and I, I, it's funny because I come in like, so tell me, like, how do you proof the dough? And yeah, and and they they go, oh shit, it's, like, it's another one. They're like, I'm here at two o'clock in the morning every yeah, day. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I hate everything, but most of all, you. Right, exactly. How many loves? Well, okay, now it makes sense. We're from the exact same world. This is yes. just my my mom actually still works in the bakery in, on Park Avenue in downtown Rutherford, New Jersey. Really? And it's just that, that's, wow. that smell when you walk oh into... Oh, my God. We had Verilman's and stuff where we grew up where you just walk in and it's that combination of those surprisingly not all that great Italian cookies. Yeah. And <laughs> you really, always want them to be better. And really terrific <laughs> rye bread. Yeah. That smells intoxicating. Oh, you? my God. I uh, There's a couple places out here that are Italian. There's very few... There are very few really good bakeries. Yes. And there are very few really good Italian delis. Oh my goodness, yeah. And there's like there's two that I really even know of. Like one's in Burbank and uh Monte Carlo's and then in uh Domingo's in uh Encino. And I'm sure there's some on the west side. But... I'm very impressed you did not mention Bay Cities. Yeah, no right. Bay Cities. Yeah, all right, all right, all right. And nobody uh... listening has any idea what we're talking about anymore <laughs> and I could, I could care less. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But you walk into those places it's like walking into your childhood. You, wow. The smells are just yeah. like your grandmother's house and all that stuff from our area mm-hmm. of growing up. And it's like, I uh, you know, I've tried to watch my weight and tried sometimes to be vegetarian. And then I walk into those places and I'm like, I'll have uh, five sticks of salami, please. <laughs> <laughs> and all of those cookies that I know aren't going to be that great, but I'm going to eat all of them. <laughs> yeah, I got it. It's a joy. I mean, there really is a joy. And there was like this, there is this thing of like, taking that out for health reasons and taking it out for all these other reasons but you are taking it out there is i feel an emptiness mm-hmm. there is a there is a part of my life that i i and i that's how i connected with my family it's how i connected with people i love having these meals having these little moments yep. of sharing this bread and this pastry and this salami and this thing 
you don't have to do it all the time, but I can't eliminate it from my life. I cannot. No, I understand. I had a, I got this humongous meatball parm. Yes, it's this place. The only <laughs> the only place worth eating in Culver City is yeah. this place that makes a meatball parm like Philly style. Oh, and man. I promised myself I'd only eat half of it, and I was <laughs> yeah. I was ruined for the day. You can't stop. I go to New York. There's this place, uh, Il Doro, which makes these sandwiches. Tiny little shop. The whole shop's about the size of this studio, which if, which is. Tiny, which is, which is massive. It's yeah. like two. It's like two <laughs> shower stalls. Yeah, and that's and there's a guy behind the counter. You got to have your cash ready. There's a list of fifty sandwiches. You have to know when you get up there. And uh, they, same thing, giant sandwich. Mm-hmm. Uh, this Italian. I mean, the bread is perfect. What they put on it is perfect. And I always say, just half. I got to just eat half. And it's gone in like two minutes, and then you're sleeping at four o'clock. But we're keep. I'm I'm proud of the fact that we're keeping that alive for our children. There's not a lot of things I'm really proud. Like I don't think I go the extra mile very often as a parent. Yeah, but I feel like um, America kind of accidentally used to have an okay food culture because they hadn't just worked out how to industrialize it. But now yeah. they now they have. Yeah, and my kid knows the difference. And yeah. I think once you've got that that taste. Yeah, I'd like. To, I'd, I would hope that that sticks. I think it will stick, and I think it's. I'm not I, raising a Quiznos child. No, and it's also connected to you. Like they're going to know. Yeah. I mean, the reason we're talking about this so passionately is because people we loved gave us delicious things, mm-hmm. and you had that experience with them. Yeah. So if you're if you give your kids these things, it's going to be connected to love. Yeah. It's going to be connected to you mm-hmm. and your whole life and as a family. And then when they go off to school, they'll be telling stories of. Oh my God! We used to get these meatball sandwiches. <laughs> my father would take us on a Saturday, right. and it could only happen like two times, and it'll stick. It's that powerful. Yeah, it's better than having you know the romantic attachment to the Golden Arches, which is which is certainly what corporate America wants us. to <laughs> My have. father had it to uh, White Castle. I love White Castle. White Castle was like he once I was old enough to like sit with him in a car with fifty, literally fifty White Castle burgers on the dashboard. They're very small, but that's far too many. <laughs> and just eat yeah. I was like, that's uh that's that is not a elegant, you know, little Italy kind of a thing, but it's still pretty joyous. It's beautiful in its own right. Yeah. My dad retired uh, early and had a series of weird jobs after that, one of which was he was a toll collector on the Garden State Parkway. Oh wow. And we'd get the call when he was on his way home at like ten o'clock at night that he's stopping at White Castle and who needs what. And oh things my that God. I would never do with my child. Like, no, he's never going to have like, okay, well, let's see. It's 11 o'clock at night, so I should probably just have three cheeseburgers <laughs> with my onion rings and milkshake. That's so great. Yeah. Oh, what heaven and those little cardboard things. Mm-hmm. Oh, the only problem is now, like when I go back on Route 17, you, there's a there's that big one. And I, it's like, I'm not, yeah, I live right around the corner. Yeah, me. and uh, it, you're like, is it worth almost getting shot? <laughs> but that's always been part of the appeal of of White Castle because I yeah. uh, it's always been it could even be in a decent neighborhood and it's still it's like a check cashing place or a Seven Eleven it just yeah. it attracts this element Seven Eleven is the only um, fast food chain where like it's a given that they're going to have a cook a manager a cashier and a security guard <laughs> right exactly yeah and it's like you don't want to make it's the only place dining experience where you don't want to make eye contact with any of the other customers. No, they're Here's small, a, so you eat them fast and get out of there. Can I give you a comedy premise and see if you can crack it? Yeah. Um, I was just noodling around this morning because I've I've been writing other stuff and haven't been writing my stand-up and I have a spot tonight. And uh, I just have this, you know, you look at your notebook or in your phone wherever you keep your funny idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, they, they, and uh, most of them don't turn into anything. I've got that file. But why is... Uh, 
Why is the train station in every town, regardless of how beautiful or how rough, how how come within two blocks of a train station, it is the worst part of humanity? Like, why are why is it so dangerous? Right in that as that part of town, like you go to a train station, you're like I'm going to take the train. Yeah, and then you walk in, and then you get within a block of the train station. You're like, I might be shot before I buy my ticket. Well, it's like the part because train travel is like the part of civilization that time forgot. <laughs> And so that's where the people that time forgot right. go. That's pretty much what it is. The right? good people are in cars. Y- yeah. Well. Yeah. 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 The, 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 the yeah. Your best are in cars, and then I mean, it, it, your upwardly mobile homeless person at least makes it to the subway. But they're not even going anywhere. No, they're not. Well, that's you know what the, I mean. They're well, not. The, I mean, this is this is not funny because it's actually very elitist. But I've thought about that in regard to LAX, which is not in a great neighborhood. Right. Is if like that the, the people who are never going to fly anywhere are condemned to live watching planes come and go for their entire lives. <laughs> is that what it is? They're just like completely. They're just be tortured by these people. It's never. It's never good. Down by the airport is never. I mean, there might have be your favorite brand of strip club down there, but that's right. the best thing you can say. About about the airport neighborhood. And they're thinking, where the hell are these people going? Yeah. Like, do you think there's any part of the guy standing outside of the train station doing drugs and hassling people coming and going that he wants to get on a train? He secretly would really love to take the Surfliner down to To Orange County. (laughs) Or is he just... Why do they all congregate there? Uh, well, What's the action? In Los Angeles, I believe they're probably just trying to raise the scratch to get to Santa Barbara, which is actually homeless paradise. I, I, I went to, I didn't go to school in Santa Barbara, but I lived there one summer and I made the mental note, like uh-huh. it's a joke, but it's not a joke. Yeah. I was like, okay, if times are ever getting really bad, never let them get so bad that you can't afford a plane ticket to Los Angeles and then a Greyhound to Santa Barbara. Right. Because that's, see, I have a thing in, in my enormous stand-up file that I'm never going to use where in- in New York, homeless people are these like gray, ashen shells of men that make you wonder how uh, a compassionate God could have ever created a yeah. world that they could live in. A lot of hurt. And in L.A., they just make you go, am, am I the crazy one for having a job? <laughs> why aren't I at the beach all day? Yeah, why aren't I <laughs> hanging out in this delightful park in 70 degrees playing hacky sack waiting for the free organic food truck to show up? <laughs> right. Yeah, that is true. That's the critical difference between the cities. Yeah. It's just not as, as hard a place. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. You should take that out of the file. I think, you know what it is as we were talking? I think that the the train station, is it's kind of like a nightclub that, you don't have to buy anything. It's like you go to a club to be around other people and mm-hmm. be around the action. You go to a train station. Yeah. There's benches. There's people. You might get some food. <laughs> they plump some music. Yeah. You just kind of, it's a nightclub for people that don't have the cover charge. <laughs> I guess it just seems like it's a toleration zone. I've always thought that about 7-Elevens. You can be going through a really decent neighborhood in Los Angeles, million dollar homes everywhere, which is yeah. not saying much, and, and yet apparently the... Nobody cares. Some are like the people who own 7-Eleven don't care about their franchisees and their right. franchisees have got bigger fish to fry and maybe yeah. are of like dubious legal status themselves. So they don't want to <laughs> yeah. cause issues attracting attention to the people that are outside of their store. <laughs> and so it's just a given that if you have nowhere else to go and you want to harass people, you probably would be fine sitting on the curb in front of a 7-Eleven. Yeah. 
It's so strange. I have to let you go. I had many questions about your book, and I asked you none of them. Maybe, oh yeah, I wrote a book. Yeah, come back sometime and, and well, talk it's to coming me again. out. It's you can get pre-order on. I'm very excited to see my book on Amazon. Yeah, who wouldn't be? Which you can pre-order. But I'll come back uh, when it comes out, which is going to be in June. I would love that. Uh, in the meantime, people can pre-order it. It's Your Dad Stole My Rake and Other Family Dilemmas. Get tour dates and listen to the Come to Pop podcast at TomPapa.com. Thanks, buddy. Sweet. This is The Tully Show on Faction Talk. Stick around. More to come with Kevin Kraft after this. We are back. This is The Tully Show on Faction Talk. Tom Papa was just here. He literally just walked outside of the studio. Kevin Kraft, surely you rubbed shoulders with Tom Papa because he he just that interview just concluded. He crop dusted me on the way out. <laughs> he comes across as such a genteel man on the microphone, but there's a there's a dirty secret to it. He's from New Jersey, and you're from New Jersey, and all he and I talked about for like almost thirty minutes was about the various bakeries where we used to buy bread. Oh, so I can I I can already tell what you want to talk about now. <laughs> it's Pennsylvania. <laughs> We're working our way. We're working our way across. And, uh, Ohio is going to be next week. That'll be a fun one, Kevin. If you could not. If you woke up tomorrow and you could not possibly have a job in the entertainment industry, seriously, what would be your first move for employment? That's the question that keeps me up at night. Because you're <laughs> planning to not have a job in <clears throat> entertainment? No. Just if if the bottom fell out. Right. Um, I am not what you would call skilled. Right. Or... Learned, motivated, or motivated, or intelligent, competent, adaptive. <laughs> I mean, it, I, I, I don't work well with others, but yeah. let me be clear, I'm also not much of a self-starter. <laughs> I hate others as much as I hate myself, which poses a, a tricky juxtaposition. Oh, I'm sorry, real quick, before you answer my question, I read this thing about uh, depression, and I thought of you. Oh, thanks. So there's these signifiers that they can use to that are like, obviously, if a professional sits down and talks to you face to face and asks you, you know, insightful, learned, professional questions, they can probably come up with a pretty decent guess as to whether or not you are depressed. But they're using like algorithms and AI in ways that are um, not as straightforward, but seem to be even better than the professionals at predicting if someone is depressed or even suicidal. Oh, wow. And one of the things that they notice is that people who are depressed when they write online um, are far more apt to use like all or nothing words such as, well, we we know how this always turns out hmm. or, well, that never works out. And it made me think of the way that you talk about your encounters with doctors. You speak in, in absolutes, and frankly, it worries me. Yeah, I don't know how much that plays into the depression as far as it just plays into me being a beaten man. But see, I would it's, argue, it's just, see, for, but I, see what I would argue that your perception <laughs> of yourself as a beaten man would be a very short hop, skip, and a jump to a diagnosis of depression. Forgive me if I've, if I've told this anecdote on the show before. But uh, my, my roommate is a brain aneurysm survivor. He had a really, really bad brain aneurysm rupture about seven years ago. It, uh, it put him in a coma, just about killed him. He narrowly survived it, and when he came out of it, he was like a completely clean slate. He didn't remember anything. He had to relearn how to talk, walk, 
relearned who people were. Oh, my God. Relearned his hobbies. He didn't know if he was gay or straight, so he went on dates with men and women and just... Nobody could tell him? Landed on the... that Like, he's... I'm asexual. So it... Was he before <clears throat> that, or that was the new him? That was the new him. Right. Did he? Have, uh, does he have the same hobbies that he used to have? Yes. He fell right back into love with all the geeky shit that I like, like video games and comics and stuff. Wow. But, uh, yeah. And, I want to and, interview your roommate. And he's... he's He's a pretty inter- interesting guy. He's been interviewed on like Harmontown and stuff. Oh, can I meet him? him? Yeah, of course. Right, yeah, um, but yeah, he he and he he has these issues all the time. Like he goes and they scan his brain every now and then, um, and if they detect another brain aneurysm, they have to go in like through an artery in his thigh and put a coil around the aneurysm in his brain to keep it from bursting. So he's he makes a joke sometimes, like if he got struck by lightning. All that would be left would be a pile of ash and a handful of springs. That's delightful. Yeah. <laughs> and after living together for a couple months, he said to me, Kevin, you are the unluckiest person I've ever met. And he's, you know, a, you know, a, a very unlucky person just from what I've just described. Because it's like, it's like, it's almost like some sadistic weirdo is just writing how everything turns out. Like, it's not bad enough for you to ever get any sort of sympathy from it. Like I don't have any debilitating diseases. I yeah, those guys I, are the real lucky ones. I constantly break out in hives. Right. I have fucking gout in my foot. I have shingles, hemorrhoids, kidney stones. Yep. Just all this stuff that's just funny, but piled together, it sucks. And Dude, the older the I get, little, the more the tiniest little thing, like a, a really bad paper cut, can ruin your fucking day. Yeah, it doesn't take all that much. With all due respect, people who have real problems, of course. Yeah. But it's also just frustrating every time something comes up now, it seems like the doctors just shrug and walk away, which is just time after time after time, I'm incredibly frustrated by it, and I'm sure it's made me jaded and bitchy and whiny. It's just it's frustrating to deal with. I'd just like to know, oh, you have a problem, here's what it's called, and here's the solution, rather than, uh. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, I'm, but, not, I'm not trying to pile on you. I'm sure you have oh, legitimate issues. It just made me think of you because you do. You do tend. To, it made me. Th- you, you, I think you do speak in absolutes more than. Maybe, yeah, uh, more than other people. I'd believe that. Right, but maybe without like, even like going through my mental rolodex, be like, oh, do I do that? But I'm taking your word for it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, original question: uh, What would you do if you could not work in entertainment? See, that's the thing because what I did before I worked in entertainment was, I worked at McDonald's. They'll take you back. I. Worked in a warehouse of car parts. Okay. And Amazon's I, always expanding. I was a commercial electrician, and I was terrible at it. Mm-hmm. I, no matter how many times the theory was explained to me, it just never sunk in. So I didn't understand why I was doing these things. But they're like, yeah, just uh, you know, twist these two wires together here, put a wire nut on it, and you're good to go. So I would do that, but I got electrocuted a whole bunch of times. I got blown off the top of a ladder in an office building, and people rushed over, and they're like, what happened? We heard a woman scream. I'm like, yeah, that was fucking me. <laughs> I've got a palm full of just blasted skin. I just met Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so I really would be, if if SiriusXM went out of business, mm-hmm. I couldn't get a job doing anything else, right. Like, um, I probably would go back to manual labor or bagging groceries or flipping burgers. That's the spirit. It's a tough one, right? I, I don't. I mean, what would you do? I mean, you've got a a pretty solid education. I have a bachelor's degree. I don't think that's 
any great chicks, if that's the saying. There's a lot of me out there. I, and I'm actually really starting to feel like an uh, anachronism as uh, like a, a, I'm like a middle-aged white dude. We had a really, really good run. But I'm starting to feel like a like a like a a classical composer in like 1850 when I don't know Hello My Darling was coming <laughs> into fashion. You know, like I like, oh I cannot compete with Hello My Darling. What am I going to do? Yeah, that's not really the problem though. I don't know what I would I don't know what I would do. Uh, you, uh, I, I used to kind of always think, well, I could be a college professor or some kind of professor. There's two problems with that. A, I completely do not have the education for it whatsoever, and I would not be all that excited to go back to school. Yeah. And that's obviously money. Um, but that leads to the greater issue, which is I would not be all that excited to go back to school. Oh, yeah. I have a friend who um, got a degree to become a teacher, and within a month of being a teacher, he was just like, oh, right. I fucking hated school. Yeah. And now I go there for a living. And it's different in some ways that, you know, you, now you're on the other side of the desk. But it's not all that it's not all that different because you're still in that culture and you're still dealing with all those a-holes. And professionally, you're dealing with a bunch of people who thrived in school. So much so that they kind of decided they never, ever wanted to leave that environment. Yeah. And those people, yeah. those people suck in their own way <laughs> as well. I'll tell you what. I, I always wanted to work at a video store. Always. It's not too late. It is. There's no video stores. I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, I applied for, you know, growing up. Well, eh, I kind of bounced around in Jersey. But, like, on the point, point of my life when I was applying for jobs, I lived in, like, Sussex County, New Jersey. And I applied regularly at every video store. Oh, come Blockbuster, on. Hollywood get... Video. No, because they were never hiring. Really? Yeah. And I was like, can you just keep my shit on file for so when the you next are time... Yeah. Ne- so never... Somebody has a parole violation and this is <laughs> yeah. their job? I, like, just being a, a movie dork and being able to silently judge what people bring to the counter for checkout. Yeah. Yeah, that was a yeah. That was pretty much the thrill of the job for and arguing about movies with the other movie movie dorks. That was pretty much the gig. Yeah. Speaking of movie dorkery, I am going to see Black Panther. I don't know why I really like talking to you about the comic book movies before they come out. I'm going to go see it. It's supposed to be great. My kid is excited about it. So to me, it's just a win that I'm going to see that instead of like Boss Baby. Oh, for sure. You know. Yeah. Sell me on Black Panther. Why do I care? Do you care? Uh, I'm, I'll probably have to preface this statement by saying there's a lot of comics that I've never read. Mm-hmm. Black Panther's one of them. I'm not surprised to hear that. There's trillions of them. I've also never read any Captain America comics. Uh, he I've, stinks. He's kind of a wiener. Yeah. I'm sorry. Look, I love- In the movies, I love him. I love America, but America as a gimmick has always sucked. The pro wrestler who does the America gimmick always sucks. The band that does America as their gimmick sucks. America is America is the greatest country that has ever been. It's not a very good gimmick though. But it's not cool. It's not a good gimmick. Like right. if you're if you're America man or you're walking around with America pants. <laughs> yeah. Like it's yeah. cool out, buddy. We live here too. We get it. <laughs> Just the color scheme kind of stinks. I don't know why that is. Like what I wonder I, if it's just because it like I don't know it's associated with history and history was always the most boring class even though I I'm, I now find it interesting as an adult. 
I think American history is way cooler than the American flag. And I always thought everybody else's flag was cooler when I was little and like watched the Olympics. Like I thought it, I hated Russia because you know I'm I'm all American. Yeah. But I thought Russia had a cooler flag. Did our the, flag's a bit cluttered? There's a lot going on there. Right. It's like, come on, make up your mind. Do you want stars or stripes? Yes, that's right. <laughs> but you could say, do you want a hammer or a sickle? That's true. And for that matter, what the fuck is a sickle? They're both kind of rad, though. Yeah. Okay. So Black Panther. So you didn't. You didn't. You don't have like a, um, a pre-existing affinity for the property. No, but here's why I would, besides from the fact that it's a Marvel movie and I'm a dork, why I would advocate for seeing it. Uh, Chadwick Boseman, the guy that plays Black Panther, we've already seen him in that role in Captain America: Civil War, and he was awesome. Uh huh. He's a great actor. Jackie uh, Robinson. Ryan Coogler. Yeah, Ryan Coogler, the guy that. Um, Directed it. I think he wrote it too. I haven't seen. I think it was it Fruitvale Station. I haven't seen that one, but mm-hmm. he did Creed. Okay, and I loved Creed. Yeah, and they're saying that this is his like best movie ever. So the advanced press is. I, I almost can't really think of another movie that had the amount of completely superlatively positive advanced press. Yeah, like this. Movie better be fucking because there's been some really good Marvel movies, and I don't think I don't I don't remember anybody going, dude, dude. Just so you know, you think you know Iron Man, but holy <laughs> fucking shit! I, I don't know. I just think it's going to be awesome. We're at this cool point in the Marvel movie universe. It's remarkable. Where, They've made a lot now, and they're still good. This might be yeah. the best one yet. And we're ramping up to Infinity War, which is kind of what I've been looking for as a as a Marvel fan. Yes, you've sold me on that. Like, I just want, like, Thanos is the big bad guy in the Marvel Universe. And it's finally going to be. They've introduced all these powerful heroes, and they're going to have to go up against this one just super baddie. So I, I, Do I, we know who's playing Thanos, or is that a full CGI? Is he a smog? It's Josh Brolin. What? Okay. I don't know how much of the face they're using, but he, Josh Brolin was also Thanos in uh, the first Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, you've told me this before. Yeah, I know. I've, I've wiped. <laughs> I've wiped quite a bit. <laughs> and as far as Black Panther goes, I also have a massive crush on Lupita Nyong'o, so I'm very happy to see her in a role where we actually get to see her face again. What 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 would she have her face obscured in? Um, Star Wars. What was she She's in Maz Kanata. Oh, she is? Yeah. Yeah. And there was something else, I think, animated that she did a voice for, too. Mm-hmm. But she's gorgeous. Oh, my God. So I want to ask you, we only have a couple more minutes, about your thoughts on the um, the Oscar nominees. Because I just have a general philosophical issue with the Oscars at this point in time. Have Do you know how many of the Best Picture nominees you have seen? I'll refresh your memory. Uh, Shape of Water. Seen it. Like it? It was weird. It's it's a love story about bestiality. Really threw me off. Threw yeah, but when it's in the water, it plays different, right? Not to me. Okay. And I've heard... A, Doug Benson even said... I heard him say it on his podcast, too. It's just... It's weird that this lady fucks a swamp monster, and we're supposed to be like, aw, she fucked a swamp monster. She right. fucks a swamp monster. See, because I always felt like, it pe- like mermaids and mermen just fly a little bit more in the popular imagination and consciousness if he had a more human face it would have made it okay easier to swallow like nobody really wants to see beauty fuck the beast no but if they plant a smooch that's kind of romantic 
Right. And then he changes back into a real boy, and then they fuck. And then they can fuck. People yeah. can actually handle the thought, were it anatomically possible of a man fucking a mermaid when in reality it would probably be even more disgusting than <laughs> disgusting than having sex yeah. with a land animal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus they had to teach this thing English. They had to teach it how to communicate. <laughs> uh-huh. Like this was a complete creature. She <laughs> she committed bestiality in a romantic way. So that kind of ruined Shape of Water for me. Darkest Hour? Saw it. Fucking awesome. What is it? Uh, Winston Churchill. Oh, that one. Yeah. Okay, great. That rule. I want to see that. Dunkirk? Boring. That's what I Wasn't heard. was a fan. Have you seen Phantom Thread? No. That's the only one. Uh, I've seen two of these, I guess. Paul Thomas Anderson has got has kind of jumped the shark for me. I didn't like right? Inherent Vice. I didn't yeah. like The Master. Nope. And I have a feeling I'm not going to like Phantom Thread when I do eventually see it. Yeah. I kind of just forgot the last... 15 years had happened in his career when I was like, oh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> and holy fuck, dude. You could watch it on Fast Forward and it would still be boring. Go back to Boogie Nights. Pretty much. Or even Punch Drunk Love. Uh, three billboards outside, blah, blah, blah. Saw it. Good, yeah. not great. Uh, were you offended? No. Isn't it offensive? I'm sure somebody could find something to be offended by. <laughs> um, I was more offended by the monster fucking shape of water. <laughs> uh, Ladybird saw it. Way overrated. If yeah. you're if you like a coming of age story about a teenage girl, watch The Edge of Seventeen with Haley Steinfeld and Woody Harrelson. Yeah, Ladybird pales in comparison. And to what's it. that movie about the girl who goes to high school and then um, pl- uh, fakes her way onto the high school football team? Oh, is that just one of the boys? <laughs> yeah, she had great nuggets. Right. <laughs> now that's what I call coming of age. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's been a long uh, day. It really has. Uh, um, the post is. You know, I haven't I, seen it. I just hate this. There's certain movies that get made, and I would, this certainly applies to Phantom Thread as well. Where once it's announced that it's coming out, it's essentially already nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, and they're. That's never a good thing. You know, it's never like, oh my God, Quentin Tarantino is making a movie with, I don't know, Lupita Nyong'o. That can't fucking miss. And then we all see it. We go, oh my God, yeah, that's that's just as phenomenal. This is an instant. It's always like, it's the Washington Post. Yeah. Echoes of today's political malaise. Yep. Tom Hanks, Meryl Streep. Steven Spielberg, like just give them their fucking statues and yep. go away. My favorite movies of the year were my favorite was Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I loved every second of it. Conspicuously not nominated. Yeah, and that's my larger point is that the movies people actually literally enjoy, wa- like walk out of the theater feeling energized by, and watch nev- for the rest of their lives are never in the conversation. I'm going to say it again: if you can have this many p- best picture nominees, Coco can get one. But get out. That, that's really cool that that's nominated. See, I like that's, Get Out. And I saved that one for last, and we got like one minute left. I liked Get Out. I do believe that the hype on this thing is officially wildly out of control. As do I. Yeah. Granted, I did really, really enjoy it. It's a 7 out of 10 episode of Black Mirror? Sure. Yeah. I'll go with that. Yeah. How but, many people will be watching? Because the billboards now that they're, especially here in Los Angeles, because we have not just ads for movies, but ads that are really only aimed at the 1,000 or 2,000 people who vote for the yes. Oscars, which makes sense because there's a lot of money riding on whoever wins this thing in terms of you know what it does to the movie's reputation and re-releases and stuff like that. The big quote that's on the Get Out posters, which are still here, is this is a movie people will be like, 
talking about for for years to come. Yeah. I think it might well be a movie people will be talking about for years to come. I'm not sure it's a movie people will be watching for very long. I think uh, The Sunken Place is going to get a place in pop culture, and that'll kind of be like a punchline. Yeah, I see, I already, I thought you were talking about Stranger Things. Oh, no. This is just me. Absolutely nothing <laughs> sticks with me anymore. This is my own problem. Uh, we got to go. Thanks. Plug your stuff, please. Mad Scientist Party Hour on iTunes, and we got Patreon now. So check it out, and at Kevin Craft on Instagram. Thank you, buddy. 